Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. 40% off and free installation. Closetsbydesign.com. This is the Jiggy Jaguar Radio Show. Welcome back to our big broadcast, coast to coast and border to border, all over the World Wide Web. Thanks for joining us today on our big program. Thanks for tuning in to the Jiggy Jaguar Radio Show from the KJAG Radio Studios in downtown Hutchinson, Kansas. Monday through Friday, 2 to 5 Central, 3 to 6 Eastern, 12 to 3 Pacific, and 1 to 4 p.m. Mountain Standard. And, of course, 24-7 at JiggyJagwire.com on the TuneIn apps and Radio Loyalty. And our podcast is available for $5 per month at JiggyJagwire.info. Selected editions available are on iHeartRadio. 50-plus AM FM stations in the Jiggy Jaguar Radio Network. Our telephone number is 267-22-JIGGY. And our... Uh, Jiggy Jaguar radio program is brought to you by our fabulous, fabulous friends at Wingspan.com. Have you ever found yourself coming through review sites and after all that reading, you still don't know whose opinions to trust? Well, there's finally a solution to this problem that we all know too well. Wingspan.com, the trust network. It's a new site where you can connect with friends and family to share your recommendations. This can be done for everything from plumbers to accountants by simply issuing them quote-unquote trusts think about it when you need help whose opinion do you trust more your friends family or total strangers are you really looking for reviews or do you simply want trusted recommendations so stop wasting time reviewing reviewing these uh, incredible reviews and visit wingspan today that's wingspan with a y and we'll spell it for you www W-Y-N-G-S-P-A-N dot com. Sign up for free. Begin sharing and discovering the most trusted resources for you, your friends, and your family. And tell them you heard about it here on Transmedia Worldwide. Let's get into it with our first guest here on our big program. Peter Riva joins us. He is a fantastic, fantastic guy. He's the co-founder of International Transactions Incorporated. It's a literary agency. Riva has worked as a literary agent, and uh, he's been doing a lot of things. He's got a great new book out there, and, it, and it's uh, called Murder on the Safari. He's with us today talking a little bit about this and how it relates to this big Cecil the Lion story. Peter, welcome to the program. How are you, sir? Very much. Now, this Cecil the Lion story, <laughs> I just don't understand why we're making such a big deal out of this. I do understand. The problem is, you, you get Go, go. jump in there. You get a guy who's an idiot, who's something from a, from a yes. close range with, with basically a bow and arrow, although it's a crossbow. The lion's got a collar on. He's hired some guys to find him a lion come hell or high water, and they they drag bait, lured this lion out of the park, and he doesn't spot the collar, and they shoot it. I mean, how? Why would anybody be that dumb? <laughs> 
<laughs> See, this, this is the thing, and this is what I was getting ready to say, is that this is such... Such a, it's not really the story about the lion that I'm concerned with. It's the it's the stupidity of this guy. <laughs> exactly. And you know what's really worse is that this particular lion was a study sample. That's why he was collared for 10 years. And all the data that two universities were collecting on this lion, his movement, the pride, the number of cubs, how to preserve lions in the wild for the future was a lot of their research was based on this lion waiting for him to get to a natural age and die, and that would give them the full cycle. Now all that 10 years of research is down the tubes. All because some idiot decided he had to go, he had to go hunting this lion. I just now, um, how, how does your how does your book Murder on the Safari uh, work, work with this story? We're going to talk about the book in our next segment in more detail. But that um, this this is an incredible book to come out around this time with all this. Well, you know, the, the weird thing is in the book, I deal with the reality of Africa that I saw it. I, look, I first went to Africa in 66. I'm an old guy. And, and you know, when you hang around Africa for a long time in the bush on safari, and we made 78 one-hour television shows of wild animals around the world for Paramount Television, you know, you get to know animals and how they behave. And it again and again, we found that the traditional hunter is part of the success story is part of the conservation of wildlife. Yeah. He's part of the solution for breeding up. What you have when you get these guys who driven by ego and, uh, I don't know, their private parts are too small or something, <laughs> who, who just want to go a good, a good thing so that, so that they have you yeah. know, a, a trophy, they're ruining it for everybody. Look, the traditional hunter who goes out hunting, what most people don't realize is that if you're going to hunt elephant with a bow and arrow on foot, you're not going to get near anything that is tender meat. You're going to only get near big, huge, sterile males and females. They're so old. They're the, the leader of the troop, of the, of the herd, but they are sterile. So by taking a, a male elephant, if you're Wally and Gulu in East Africa, a traditional elephant hunter, you breed up the herd. You're not breeding it down. Any rancher will tell you when the bull gets to a certain age, he's sterile. If you want to breed up your herd, you make sure the bulls are all young and virile. <laughs> it so, is. So, you know, when you see an American hunter go out and shoot a deer and he brags that he's got a seven-pointer or something, as long as he's taking the meat, as long as he's there doing it for the real reasons, is to fill his fridge or his freezer, that's cool. And if he has seven points that he wants to say, I took a seven-pointer, what he's really telling you, he may not realize it, it's in the back of his head, I'm helping the population of those deer breed up, not down. And see, this this is the thing, and we're currently uh, having some some of a, an experience like that around the country where you see a lot of deer, you see a lot of overpopulation of, of different animals, and right. certain states will go in, like for instance in Kansas, they're, they're releasing, there's a lot of deer in Kansas, and they're getting hit by cars, they're running into things, they're doing all sorts of craziness. So they've released these mountain lions to come in and get rid of the deer. But the problem is is that 90% of the time, and, and it's not just Kansas, I've noticed it all over the, all over the country because we get reports from all sorts of listeners in all these different states. They release the thing to go in, but then they never go get the thing that's there. So, like, the deer, for instance, here in Kansas, the deer is going to get 
you know, beat down and, and it'll be, you know, back to normal. But then we don't go capture the mountain lions. The mountain lions breed. And then it's like, oh, my God, we got to send something to get the mountain lions. <laughs> Look, you know, that's, you're right. You're absolutely right. What we have to do is make a decision. Either we want to live in a wild environment or we want to live in what is essentially a controlled zoo. So if, if <laughs> a controlled live, zoo. I love that. I love that you, idea. As you say, if you're going to release mountain lion to, to reduce the deer population, you're controlling the environment. So you better continue to control it. Yeah. The problem is they don't do that. You know, there's a lot of talk about, look, I can speak with authority. I've been a farmer and rancher for 20-some-odd years, and as I say, I've spent a lot of time with wildlife in Africa and around the world. In Africa, you have this situation where people go there with cameras, and they get their, excuse my language, they get their rocks off, taking pictures <laughs> yeah. of, of lions and yep. rhino and elephant. And they feel better for doing it, and they're not doing any harm to those animals whatsoever. However, in order to make sure that the guy sitting in a zebra-painted van can take a picture of an elephant, it means that the elephant's environment is being controlled with fencing, with uh, anti-poaching, with whatever you have. So stop pretending that humans... um, we're so many of us that we have to control the environment, and that's a responsibility. Hunters are part of the solution, not part of the problem. The, the problem is too many humans, and the problem are irresponsible people, like this dentist. Who, <laughs> yes. If I was a dentist, either you commit suicide or you want to pretend you're important, you go shoot a lion. I don't know what <laughs> We've got Peter Reba with us today. He joins us live. Uh, We're going to talk about his book in our next segment here on the big program. We're talking about uh, Cecil the Lion in this segment. This this whole thing with this, uh, like you were talking earlier, uh, he he probably had, you know... uh, he probably had small private parts. That's usually what happens is you, you either go out and buy a really expensive car or you go kill something. Yeah. <laughs> and you've got to feel like a man. <laughs> I, I guess that's true. And, and look, the part of the thing of him being in Africa, that's exciting. The smell, the feel of the place. I mean, it's a wonderful experience. Even if you're in a zebra-painted van, it's a great experience. And... You know, particularly down in in southern Africa, uh, Namibia is my favorite, because in Namibia, what the government there did is they said, okay, we want no more uncontrolled hunting. So we're going to ask the elephant tribe hunt, the the, the tribe that hunts elephants to stop hunting elephants, but we're going to turn them into the wardens. And Namibia has zero poaching problems because nobody knows where the elephants are better than a traditional elephant hunting tribe. But now they have uniforms, now they have status, and their job is to protect the elephant. When poachers go to Namibia, they don't find the poachers. They find their broken guns and jeeps and stuff left in the bush. The poachers never appear again. Wow, really? Now, that's Namibia. Now, if you go to other countries, you know, where they hire all the political son of the son of the son, you know, that kind of thing. (laughs) Then you have to have a small army, then you track the elephants with collars, and you try and keep track of them with helicopters, and you fundraise in New York, and you make a lot of money, and it becomes a business. Namibia said, we don't have the money to make a business. We're going to turn the traditional elephant hunters into the elephant protectors. And when we have to kill an elephant because it's become rogue or it's old and sterile, 
we will allow the traditional elephant hunters to have a traditional elephant hunt. That's very interesting. I, I, I like that idea because it, uh, you're not screwing up the environment. Yeah, and you're keeping tribal traditions alive. I mean, it's much like we do with the Inuit and the Eskimo. We allow them to go out and, and hunt seal and walrus and things like that for their own consumption. They can't sell it. They can't do anything with it. But it's part of their tribal ethic and part of their diet. And there's nothing wrong with that as a normal, naturally imbalanced, um, sustainable way of handling wildlife. Look, human... The, the one problem we all have here is that when you go to the supermarket and you choose vegetables and you choose meat, you're hunting. You may not think of it as hunting, but that's what you're doing. If you buy hamburger meat, you're part of the chain where it raised an animal and it went to the slaughterhouse and was cut up and turned into hamburger meat. People want to pretend that they have nothing to do with hunting, but every single person who eats hunts. They just hunt the end result. They don't hunt the actual animal. And by the way, when you pull a carrot, it gives off all kinds of electronic signals. And there's a lot of scientific evidence to say that the thing knows it's dying. And a cabbage and a lettuce and the rest of it. We've got Peter Reba with us today. He joins us live here on the telephone uh, talking about uh, Cecil the Lion. We're going to take a, a brief break here in just a second. And when we come back, we're going to chat about his great, great book. We've got more coming up with Peter Reba here on the world famous Cheeky Chick. Why you show back here in a few moments. Skin cancers is getting worse and he has no insurance. He's barely making ends meet, taking care of the family. He's gone to a doctor and can have surgery, but without insurance, they estimate it is going to be a minimum of $6,000 for surgery and a maximum of $10,000. That's a Incredible, incredible prize. He has cancer, which covers most of his right shoulder and corner of his eye, which they say will require some minor reconstruction of the eyelid when they remove it. He's been advised to remove this ASAP, but without insurance and apparently covering pills, he can't do this. A sore on his shoulder is open and stains his shirts. His wife and I are both praying to be able to cover the surgery by mid-July. He's going to be out of work for a week recovering. Check this out today at GoFundMe.com. That's V-Y-C-X-4-C-W. We're going to spell it for you. Get a pen. Write this down. We need to go help out Matthew Turner. We need to do it right now. Check out G-O-F-U-N-D-M-A dot C-O-M slash the letter V, the letter Y, the letter C, the letter X, the number four, and the letter W. That's GoFundMe.com slash v y c x. 4CW and tell him you heard about it here on Transmedia Worldwide. Let's get back into it here on our big program. We've got Peter Reva joining us. He has written a fantastic book. We're going to talk about that here in just a few moments. It is called Murder on Safari, and Peter joins us live here on the telephone. It's a great new thriller, and uh, Peter, you're a wildlife expert. We were talking in our first segment about this uh, Cecil business, and uh, not really about the fact that that the lion has been killed, but about the idiot who killed him. (laughs) Now, tell us a little bit about this book, Murder on the Safari. I love the cover of the book, my friend. Thank you. Well, you know, the thing is, when you hang around Africa for a while, you learn all these true stories, and I sort of strung them all together with a little overlay of Al-Shabaab that's uh, set, is designing a, a terrorist attack in Nairobi. And uh, I was there in Nairobi in 88 
when I watched uh, Jimmy Swaggart address 100,000 people um, uh, just west of Nairobi. And that gathering in crowd, in, I looked at that and I looked up the hill and there were these giant gasoline tanks um, on Wilson Airport. And I, at the time I looked at that and I said, good God, if anybody ever burst those tanks right now, you could, you could fry 100,000 people in a hurry. And that's what I based the book around. Um, the, this film producer is on safari doing his filming thing and suddenly gets caught up in this Al-Shabaab attack which is about to happen. And there's nobody there to stop it. So he and the film crew decide they're going to take it upon themselves to stop the attack of Al-Shabaab. And in the midst of filming vultures flying uh, with a hang glider and uh, filming a crocodile, a seagoing crocodile going out in the ocean and filming that, um, they're chased by these Al-Shabaab people. And in the end, they realize the best defense is offense. And they take them on. And they uncover this plot to kill everybody at this religious gathering. Now this this sounds like an amazing amazing story. What what was some of the ideas behind this? What was the writing process like? Research process, things like that for this great book. Well, most of it is <laughs> taken out of my own experience, bits and pieces put together. They always say it's better if you write what you know, and um, I've done a lot of filming in East Africa, so I incorporated a lot of that. Uh, in the book, and in fact, uh, one of the characters in the book um, is a friend of mine, although I've renamed him, um, who's the current uh, executive producer of The Amazing Race on TV. He and I did uh, 78 one-hour television shows for Paramount, and what better than to uh, build a character around him. And, you know, the other thing is, when you're in Africa, the world appears different. You're stepping off the edge. You're going back in time. And that ability to be able to see reality uh, without the cloud of civilization um, really helps the author narrow down to the true emotions and the true um, goals that people set themselves. And you know, if you're out in the bush, you really have to rely on yourself, particularly as I've spent a lot of time walking across Africa. You're totally dependent on yourself. And if you don't have a weapon with you, you have to get tuned into nature, and you have to try and find your way. And that's what this film crew does. Um, they don't have the weapons and everything else and the intelligence backup, but somehow they manage to put the pieces together to find out what's being done, and then they find a way to thwart the attack. We've got Peter Riva joining us today. He joins us live here on the telephone talking about his incredible book, Murder on the Safari. Um, what's the overall theme of the book? Um, the, th the theme is a thriller. It's a straightforward, turn the page, have a great time reading it, and in the meantime, you're going to absorb a lot of truths about Africa and a lot of truths about the people. One of the heroes of the book is a fellow called Mbuno uh, that I fashioned after a wonderful uh, safari guide and the tales he told of his father, uh, both of whom were expert trackers. Um, his father, uh, Mbuno, passed away a few years ago. He was 80, and his father was one of the trackers for Teddy Roosevelt. So. They had some wonderful truths about elephants and other animals in the wild and how human behavior sometimes can be related to animal behavior. Uh, there's a character in the book that reminds him very much of a hyena, and so they uh, track the guy in the same way that they would track hyena. And it's, it's to meld those two things, the true African experience, make it a page-turner, have a lot of fun reading it, but you come away with a lot of knowledge you didn't have before.
We've got Peter Reva joining us today. He joins us live here on the telephone talking about his incredible book, Murder on Safari. And uh, he spent many months over his 30 years in Africa and oftentimes with legendary guides for uh, East African white hunters and adventures. He created a TV series in 1995 called Wild Things for Paramount TV. Uh, how much of that did, did kind of inspire and influence this book? Oh, a lot of it. I mean, a lot of it. I mean, for instance, did you know that more people are killed in Africa by hippo than any other creature? Really? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you, wouldn't, you wouldn't think that. No, but it's a vicious, big, fat pig with big teeth. <laughs> oh, you gotta... <laughs> are you talking about my, ex, my, my ex-mother-in-law? The thing is. <laughs> now, 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 Peter, uh, that, that, that's an interesting point. How come you don't hear more about that? Well, I, th- I think it's because people want to anthropomorphize everything. You know, I mean, l- let's face it. The one dumb thing about the whole lion attack down, the uh, hunting thing down there, is that they had the, they'd given the lion a name. I mean, <laughs> lion doesn't need a name, Cecil. It's just you know, <laughs> that's what. That's what <laughs> well, when they started talking about how Cecil had been killed or Cecil, I'm like. Cecil Fielder from the Tigers? <laughs> the old Detroit Tigers Major League Baseball? And then they're like, oh no, this lion. And I'm like, okay, why should I care about this lion? And then later on they're like, well, you know, this Dennis, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, okay, that's the story. The idiot is the story. <laughs> Not the lion, the idiot. <laughs> exactly. but, but, you know, frankly, it happens a hundred times every day in Africa, and this one happens to have captured the imagination of everybody, and that's a great thing. But, you know, then you have serious fundraising efforts, like, for instance, they make a pile of ivory tusks, they take 500 gallons of aviation gas, pour it over this mountain of ivory tusks and set fire to it, and they do it on, on national American TV in order to say, you know, poaching is really bad. Well, if you really wanted to stop poaching, you don't raise the price of ivory by destroying a couple of tons of it. And what you do is you take all that ivory and you give it to every public school in America with a photograph of the butchered animal, and every kid in America would say, that ivory tusk came from that animal that we killed that way, that's terrible. And that lesson would be learned, instead of which they have two minutes on TV. <laughs> that's right. And, and it's a good way to raise money, but then it becomes a business. And... What Africa That's what it always comes down to, Peter. Yeah, and America doesn't need a business either. I mean, this this whole thing of reintroducing wolves, you know how they reintroduce predators in South Africa? And the farmers are the ones who are promoting it. In South Africa, they build a set of three cages, one inside the other. The outer rim is a mile wide, then half a mile, and then the inside one's about 200 yards. And they dig a tunnel into the middle. And they release two cubs, two leopard cubs, cheetah cubs, a pack of dogs, whatever, into the middle, and they feed them meat. And then they start feeding them rabbits and other small creatures. And then they dope them, and then remove the inner cage, so they have a bigger territory. And they do that for six months, then they take the next cage out. And they do the same thing until those animals figure that that's where they belong. If you imagine you take a dog, your dog, and take it out in the middle of a forest and drop it, it doesn't belong there. It knows it doesn't belong there, and it will roam and become a vandal because it doesn't have security. The way we've been reintroducing wolves in America is is expensive and stupid. We're dumping them, hoping that they like it where they are. But they don't belong there. They know they don't, so they become vandals. 
Well, Peter Reeve has been our guest today. 42 minutes after the hour, we've, we've got to go, my friend. But uh, I appreciate you being with us today. This has definitely been a, a fun conversation. It's my pleasure, J.J. Definitely. We'll talk soon, Peter. Thank you, sir. Check out Peter Reva's book. We're going to have a link to it on our website at cheekycheckwire.com. Scott Smith coming up here in a few moments. (laughs) 